Greetings, Community Corps Cadets. Jeff Heimbach here. Welcome to another point five episode of Community Corps Weekly. You know, when we don't have a full episode, we just do something else and we don't know what else to call it. So it's a point five. This one is 63.5. Um, this is actually an interview that I did with uh, my good friend, Mr. Rolly Crump. Excuse me while I pick up this name that I just dropped. Um, this is from the Mice Age 10th Anniversary Breakfast uh, back the first weekend in February when I was out in California. Um, and this was the interview we did for the crowd at, at the breakfast um, right after Floyd Norman went with Sam Genoway. And then we did a whole bunch of book signings and stuff. It was so much fun. Um, the audio on Rolly is a little bit low at times. Uh, I tried to adjust it as much as I could, but um, I had to balance out for the immense amount of laughter going on in the background as well. Because that man can sure tell a story and work a crowd. Trust me. Um... So I hope you enjoy this .5 episode with me talking to our friend, Mr. Rolling Crump. Enjoy, Communicorps cadets! I know all about what Floyd was talking about in age. <laughs> old people at Disney, they're going to have a problem with this interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Rolling Crump, everybody. Um, I have a disadvantage. I unfortunately don't know a lot about Rolly. If only there was a book about him that you could buy somewhere. Um, so we're pretty much here to talk about whatever you would like to talk about. I, I guess um, if we want to continue a theme um, that Floyd started with, why don't we start with how you, how you got into the Disney Studios to begin with? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I always wanted to work, I like Floyd, from the time I was a little guy, I always wanted to work for Disney. I'm madly in love with it. And uh, what happened was, um, I was at a Christmas party at my mother's house, uh, this was when I was 22, and uh, there was a lady there uh, that had worked in animation at Disney Studio. And I found out about it, and my mom said, well, you know, my son Rolly here would love to work for... Uh, Disney, and she said, well, I'll give you the phone number and the name of the guy to call. So I did. I called Andy Ingman and at the studio, and they said, I set up an appointment. Of course, going on to the lot, I was scared to death. I mean, you know, on the Disney lot. So um, I met with them, and I brought my little portfolio. And of course, my portfolio, as I used to call it, sort of a dog's breakfast. It was a little bit of everything that I did from high school up and until I was 22, and they're just a bunch of dumb little sketches and stuff. And um, so I took it, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't bad. In fact, I still have it. And uh, so I took it and showed it to them, and they looked at it, and they said, well, we'll let you know in about a week if we're interested in having you come to work. And I said, great. So sure enough, I was scared to death for almost two weeks, and they called and went back, and I was thrilled. And they said, yes, we'd like to have you on board. And I said, great. And I said, no. By the way, what's the starting, uh, you know, price? And they said, well, we're going to give you $30 a week. Well, I was making $75 a week as a dipper in a ceramic factory. And I thought, Jesus Christ, I want to work for Disney, my God. So I said, can, you, can I go out and give you an answer today? And they said, no. And I said, can I call you tomorrow? And they said, sure. So I went home and I talked to my mom. And my mom said, honey, you always want to work there, so go for it. 
So I said, okay. So I, I went the next day and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the job. Well, the good news about all of this was that I had a very close personal friend that built sewer manholes. And so he, he said he'd hire me on the weekends to help me build the sewer manholes. So I became a very professional mixer of mud and lowering of bricks to build sewer manholes. And so I could afford to work for Disney. <laughs> and, now this is, this, I wasn't the only one that had to have a second job. Damn near everybody I worked with when, when I was in the bullpens uh, had second jobs or they were selling their paintings or something. So that went on for pretty close to a year. But what saved me from, from the sewer manholes was we find we were working on Peter Pan. I was the last in-betweener hired on Peter Pan. And um, so all of a sudden we're working overtime. And overtime is five nights and Saturdays. Um, that's a bunch of work. And so I was able to make the salary high enough to where I could support myself and my family. And I'm thrilled to death that I did. And uh, by the way, I want you to know that when they moved me from animation, uh, I was invited to go to work at WED. They called me in and Ken Peterson was in charge at that time. He said, well, he said, uh, you, we just want you to know that your portfolio was the worst portfolio that was ever presented. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, and I don't know why he said it because I thought it was pretty good. I still think it's pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how I got the job. Now, before you moved over to uh, WED, you had a show in the, the studio library. I have to show oh, this yeah. poster. Hang on. Oh, boy. You're going to love this one. Now, this says <laughs> smoke marijuana. <laughs> and, what can you tell us about these, these smoke marijuana posters? Well, yes, I'll tell you about the um, When I was in animation, all I did was work with a pencil. And I, I didn't work with a brush or paint or anything. And so I thought, I've got to learn uh, how to you know, use color and understand what color was all about. So I took an high school class. And uh, during that time frame, the teacher said, um, by the way, I never learned anything about color from that teacher. I mean, we don't learn color from a teacher. It's something that you learn by doing. So anyway, um, he said, I want everybody to do uh, a Christmas card this year that looks like an old woodblock cut. So luckily, I was familiar with this, the library, you know, research library at the studio. So I went up and I got a book out on old woodblock cuts, and I found this uh, wooden Indian pulling tobacco. So I thought, well, let me draw him up and do some sketches with him to kind of get a feel of what a, a woodblock cut might look like. So I had this Indian on that uh, piece of uh, cardboard up in my office, I don't know, for a couple of months or something. I kept looking up at it, and I thought, you know, I got to make a poster out of that. So I said, well, what do I put on there? And I thought, well, I'll put Smoke El Lobo. And I thought, oh, that's corny. I can't do that. And then I thought, well. Maybe I should say smoke marijuana. And I said to myself, oh, God, no, really, you can't do that. So I was going to smell marijuana backwards. You know? And I tried that, and that didn't work. And finally, I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I did the marijuana poster, which is this little guy right here. And um, there's some, a lot of truth in there, but I can't talk about that today. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a whole session just on this subject. <laughs> and 
I want everyone to know that the, all the 90 men did not smoke, smoke dope. <laughs> Just the rest of us. You know. <laughs> um, and you're not going to believe this, but they're going to sell these here today. Yeah. <laughs> it's selling a marijuana poster at Disney. Yeah. Holy people forgot there's no lightning. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, uh, you want me to continue with the story? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I went to the printer and uh, I said, um, I'd like to get some of these printed. And he took one look at him and he said, uh, are they legal? I, I don't think I should print those. I think that's, I can't do that. I said, no, sir. I said, they're, they're tongue in cheek. You know, there's funny stuff on there, like what the price is. Of course, it was the real price. <laughs> but it, has, it had on there, you know, uh, has that truly fine uh, uh, narcotic aroma, you know, and sold by your local dope peddler. And the original, and the original one didn't say imported by stone, it's imported by wetback. Well, I changed that. <laughs> over, over the years, that was not funny. So, so I've had a re revision on that one. I did the revision, I also put on there, don't smoke and drive, because it'll take you forever to get there. Anyway, I took it to the Balinese shop in Pasadena, and, he, and Jim Stevens at Reddit said, no, I, I won't sell them, but he said, I'll wholesale them for you. So he said, but would you do a series? And I'll wholesale a series. So I went back and I did uh, smoke opium. Yeah, I did heroin airlines flying. I did one called cocaine candy, the sweet that swings. Guaranteed it's dead in that sweet tooth, you know. So anyway, but and the interesting thing about it is when I had my exhibit in the library, clear back in those good old days with my propellers, I had the, the, the dopers in the hallway. And I get a call from Keita that ran the library, and she says, Rolly, why don't you know that Walt was here today? And I said, oh my God. I said, did he, did he go down the hallway? And she says, yes, he did. I said, he saw my dopers? And she said, yes. I said, what did he say? She says, he just stood there and laughed. And that, that, that lets you know that you know he wasn't prejudiced about anything, and he accepted everything for what they were. And he just enjoyed the humor of it and let it go with that. But even when I got to knowing, which was years later, we never did discuss the marijuana. <laughs> now, part of the same show uh, with, with the doper posters, you had a lot of propellers in, which yeah. in turn led to, as we see we're here, this replica yeah. of the Tower of the Four, Four Winds. winds. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Tower of the Four Winds and how it came to be. Well, Walt loved my propellers. Uh, when he saw my exhibit up in the library, he loved my propellers, and so that's when he and Ward Kimball got together, and Ward said, you ought to hire this kid and over to Wed. And uh, so Walt was intrigued by the propellers, and I think probably saw some imagination there of some sort. So anyway, um, I moved over to Wed and, and started working on different projects there. Uh, the Tiki Room and, and some of the other the bazaar. But then the World's Fair came along and Walt came in to me one day and said, well, I want you to do a tower of, of he called them mobiles, a tower of mobiles, he says, for the entrance to Small World for the World's Fair. I said, okay, great. So that's basically what I did. And again, uh, like I've discussed it many times, Walt always wanted to see models. 
He didn't want to just see sketches or renderings. He actually wanted to see a model because being a kind of a train buff that he was, and he grew up understanding scale, uh, it was easy for him to really understand what the design was. Even if it was a little cardboard model, he would, uh, he had a great imagination. In fact, I did a little cardboard model uh, exiting from Small World when we first did it, and the little model was there for you to go in and find out from the Bank of America that it's an international bank and where it's located, and it was kind of an, ad uh, an advertisement because they sponsored Small World. Well, we were looking at that little model one day, it was a little cardboard model, and uh, John Weiss, who was a head engineer, looks at it, he turns to Walt and he says, you know, Walt, it doesn't look very sturdy to me. And Walt said, John, we're not gonna make it out of cardboard. <laughs> I'm sorry, he was, he was pretty quick. <laughs> So anyway, uh, we, uh, we built the, the model, and uh, uh, then we finally, and Walt, I was on TV with Walt uh, talking about the tower, and then eventually uh, we uh, built the, the big guy downtown LA, and uh, I had to take Walt down to see the finished tower, and it was 120 feet in the air. Well, what happened was, if you look at this one as well, it was very delicate, very delicate. But when the engineers got a hold of it, because of the, con the concern about the, the winds uh, in New York, everything got fat. Everything that was six inches became a foot. Everything that was a foot or wider, whatever, became two feet. Everything that was three inches became six. So pretty soon it was about the cumberless looking thing. I mean, I just, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I had to take Walt down and let him see it. So Walt and I are standing there <clears throat> looking at it, and Walt turned to me and he said, well, Rolly, what do you think? And I said, I think it's a piece of crap. <laughs> I don't know of anyone that ever worked for Disney that told Walt to his face about what they had designed or drawn that was a piece of crap. But, but Walt turned back and he said, Rolly, it, it can't be a piece of crap. It cost me $200,000. <laughs> After a while, I got to where I liked it, and we, sh we, we shipped it off to the World's Fair, and, uh, and it became the Tower of the Four Winds, which was a, was a beautiful little piece. But the, the nice thing about it was, uh, was to be able to have some fun with Walt, because he was a sweetheart. Now, what happened to the tower when the World's Fair was over? Oh, that's good. They cut him up into two-foot lengths and threw him in the ocean. So, yeah, really, the tower is down there with its propellers, with the fish. Off of New Jersey somewhere. So. So, so I can go find it when I go home, yeah. is what you're saying. I, I told Walt, I said, you know, if we ever get a chance, I'd like to build another one, but put it in a building to where we can keep the delicacy of it and just let it run off the air conditioning like the little model that I built. So. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit after that. And uh, when you came back, you started working on the Haunted Mansion again, and you were getting kind of bored with what it was turning into, and so you started developing the Museum of the Weird. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, the one thing I didn't want to do was make sure they have the, I figured the Haunted Mansion should be something really special, very fanciful, and in a lot of ways very surrealistic. And uh, I was a, a lover of Fumini movies, I just love his movies, and I, because of the stuff he had in there and the imagination. And also, there was a film made back in the late, uh, I guess it was the late 50s, uh, called Beauty and the Beast. It was a French film about the beast. And in that, there was his castle had these human arms that held the torches in the hallways so that when the beast walked by, the torch would lead him. And then in his main salon, there was heads with 
steam coming out of their nose and out of their mouth and everything like that. And that's the kind of stuff that's got to be in the goddamn mansion, you know. So and, and nobody was doing anything wrong. He had not given us any assignment. So I sat there and I started drawing up these crazy little guys. And I had a candle man whose fingers were on fire and his hair was on fire. And I had a, a chair that stood up and talked to you. I had, uh, oh, I, I, uh, one statue was made out of all kinds of parts of a part butterfly, part uh, hoof from a, a deer, and also one leg was a fish. So I mean, that was, that was some pretty weird stuff. And uh, so I started drawing all these up, and everybody that I was working with said, you know, Walt's not going to like that. It's too goddamn weird. And I said, well, I know, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't really care. You know, I, I even had a, uh, uh, a little, uh, I did an allusion to where the little fish was swimming, but it was just the bones of the fish. You know, there, was, there was no body on the fish. And I also had many plants. So uh, anyway, uh, all this stuff was just going. Well, it came time about three months later to where it, uh, my beloved leader there at WED had said, we're going to have a presentation of the wall about who's working on the Haunted Mansion. Well, uh, Mark had started working on it. Claude was working on it. Uh, the other fellow that was an architect was working on it. And uh, so they, they had Walt come in, and they had set up Claude on the left wall and Mark on the right wall, and the, the, man, the plan of the ride was, I mean, the show was in front, and they set Walt down here facing all of that. They put all my stuff in the corner. <laughs> I had a little table with all my little models on it, and I had all my little weird guys up there. And uh, so we had about a four-hour work session with Walt, and finally, but nobody introduced what I had done, you know, I thought, oh, well, the hell with it, you know, what difference to make, you know. So anyway, um, finally, Walt said to Dick Irvine, he said, is that it? And Dick said, yeah, that's it. He said, well, what's this stuff in the corner? <laughs> I mean, nothing escaped Walt. And they said, oh, that's something Rolly did. And Walt said, well, what did Rolly do? And they said, we don't know, you better ask him. <laughs> this, this is all true stories. And uh, that's why they're fun. So Walt says, Rolly, what is it? And I said, I don't know. And so we both took our chairs and scooted over to the, to the model and to the sketches. And um, he said, well, what is it? And I, and I went through the whole thing about there should be more you know, imagination in there. It shouldn't just be a bunch of you know, footprints on the ceiling. It should really have some, you know, some weird sculpture and some, a lot of surrealistic stuff. And he said, yeah, but that's weird. And I said, yeah, I know, it's weird. And so we went back and forth, what are you going to do with it? I don't know, but it's weird. Yes, I know. <laughs> Finally, he stood up and says, I'm out of here. I'm going. <laughs> he just walked out the door. Well, everybody came up to me after that meeting and said, we told you that the stuff was too weird. And that, um, you know, he wouldn't like it. I came to work the next morning at 7.30 and Walt Disney sitting in my chair at my desk and he's still dressed in what he wore the day before. <laughs> and the first thing he said was, you son of a bitch. And I, <laughs> I said, oh my God. No, he really did. And uh, I said, oh, I'm sorry. And he said, well, I didn't get an ounce of sleep last night. And I said, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. And, and I said, well, what, what was it? He says, all that weird stuff you showed me yesterday, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> really, he said that. He thought about it all night long, and he says, I've come up with a solution. And I said, you did? And he said, yeah. He says, we're gonna do a museum, a museum of the weird, and you're gonna put all this weird stuff in there, and we're gonna advertise that we've collected the weirdest things around the world, and we now have them at Disneyland. 
And the idea being that once you went through the haunted mansion, then you would exit through the Museum of the Weird. So I said, oh, geez, well, that's great. We'll keep you on. <laughs> no, I, 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 used to, I used to kid with him a lot. I said, you know, why don't you have an office over here when you're over here quite a bit? He says, no, if I don't, he says, I don't come over here to have an office. He says, I come over here to play and have fun. Yeah. And, I, and that's really how it looked at when. So anyway, he, um, he had Nick Irvine uh, bring all the rest of the guys back in that were there in the meeting before, and um, he took them through it and explained that we were gonna do this Museum of the Weird, and he spent about a half hour explaining the whole thing to him, and then when he got finished, he says, now I'm gonna go home and go to bed. <laughs> and he got up and left, and then when he left, and all these guys came up to him and said, you know, Roly, we knew you had I knew the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about your relationship with Walt, because it seems that he was really on your side with a lot of your projects. How was your relationship with Walt? Well, it was good. I think uh, the first three years, I didn't say a word. Uh, I sat in meetings and just studied him and watched him and watched his body language and everything, and uh, because I wanted to know, you know who I was dealing with, and I, I wouldn't contribute anything until I kind of felt like I had something to say that he would understand. And so as time went on, I began to feel real comfortable with Walt. And uh, I'd always try to sit next to him whenever we had a meeting, because sometimes the meetings would go for three or four hours. And a lot of times I wasn't sure when the meeting was over what it was he was trying to explain to us or the direction he was trying to give us or something. So when the meeting was over, I'd always grab his coattail when he'd go to get up, and I'd kind of pull it, he said, yes, Rolly. And I said, would you mind laying that by me one more time? I said, I, I got a little lost in the middle of it. Because I wasn't afraid to, to talk to him and, and say, I don't know, or, or what's going on here. And a lot of the times, he would take the time very, very graciously and talk to me very slowly and explain to me kind of what it was he had and why in the mind. And then other times, he'd say, shit, I don't know. So, <laughs> it was like that, and that gets back to the, shall we talk about the rock? Oh yeah, talk, definitely talk about the rock. This is my favorite story, what's, yeah, yeah. out of all of them. Yeah, this is, this is one of the more recent ones. When I was in animation, I was painting on rocks like a lot of the other people that were in animation. This is back in the 50s. And uh, Hazel George, who was uh, the uh, nurse there at the studio, came up to me one day and she said, Rolly, you paint on rocks a lot, do you? I said, oh yeah. She said, I want to give Walt a rock for Christmas present. And she said, I want you to paint something on the rock. And she said, just a small rock. And I said, okay. I said, I said what do you want, want me to paint on there? She said, the word shit. And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah. She said, that's his, his number one curse word. That's the word he used all the time. So we took this little rock that I drew with shit on it and we put it in a beautiful little Japanese box and she gave it to him as a Christmas present that year. And a week later I went to Hazel and I said, well, did Walt get his present? She said, oh yeah. And she said, by the way, you get screen credit. <laughs> but needless to say, we never discuss it after I really got to know him. So we let that one go. Um. Do you, want to, do you want to take a couple of questions? Is that okay? Two questions? Sure. All right. Let's take a question or two. Anybody have a question? Anyone? You want to know where to buy these things? Oh. <laughs> I got that. 
Because Peter Pan is my favorite film of all the Disney films. What and you said you worked on Peter Pan. I wondered what you did exactly. Well, I was an in between Peter Pan, which is you know every other drawing. Because you know, yeah, I didn't do much on that. I just worked on different scenes. I did some scenes where he was flying, and I also did some scenes where he was crowing like a rooster. And uh, but being an in betweener, you just they hand you a scene and you do the little in betweens, whatever it was, but nothing special. Nothing special. <laughs> the most special thing I did in animation was in the puppies in 101 Dalmatians, where they're watching television. And there's all these little guys sitting there. Well, the animator I worked for said, after the scene was uh, animated, he says, okay, really, put the spots on. <laughs> uh, Floyd, Floyd will understand that. Uh, so I had to develop all the different spots on each one of the puppies. The one puppy that, that was called Lucky, I put a horseshoe on his back. And so I think it took, it was probably that particular little scene or sequence or one was probably only ran for maybe a minute and a half or two minutes, but it took me three months to do the spots. You know, because, you know, you have to remember that when the dog stretches, the spot has to go with the dog. It has to stay on the body and stretch with it. So I learned a lot doing my spots, but that was my only claim to fame, being an animation. <laughs> <laughs> Others? So many people talk about, want to know with Disney Legends, what they did when they were with Disney. But I want to know, what was your life after Disney? What, what did you do after you were oh, What did I do after Disney? <laughs> Everything I could. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, it's kind of cute. A lot of us would leave uh, Disney and come back, and leave and come back. And uh, so I was very fortunate uh, that when I left it, um, for the first time in particular, and I started my own little design firm, um, I got a call from a, a theme park called Astroworld, and I talked to the manager, and he said, I understand you're not with Disney anymore. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, I want you to help me with some projects down here. So he, he flew me to Astroworld, and I started consulting with him. Well, it kind of cracked me up, because the word was, there's a designer from Disney out. He's not there anymore. Get him. So I got calls from everybody. Heiser Bush called me. And so I, I started doing a lot of freelance work and built this little company called Design 27. And uh, one of the best ones I had though was working for Steve Wynn at the Golden Nugget. And uh, basically he called me and wanted to know all about Walt. So he flew me up because Walt was his uh, mentor. So here's Steve Wynn, the, the big time gambler there in Las Vegas, saying that Walt was his uh, mentor. So he said, just tell me about Walt. So I sat and told him stories about Walt for eight hours. <laughs> and really, seriously. And when I got finished, I got up to leave, and Steve said, well, Rolly, uh, I really enjoyed meeting you and, and talking about Walt. He said, but I don't know how I can use you. And I said, no, no, that's okay. And he had the ugliest stationery you've ever seen in your life laying on the table. And I said, Steve, that's the ugliest stationery. <laughs> I said, let me redesign it. If you like it, you pay me. If you don't like it, you don't have to pay me. So that's the deal. <laughs> so I redid his stationery, and then little by little, I started doing all kinds of stuff for him. And then years later, uh, I get a call from him. He said, you remember when I had you come out and have you tell me about Walt? And he said, well, I've got a real close friend. 
that loved Walt just like I did. He said he'd love to meet you and have you tell him stories about Walt. <laughs> so I said, would you mind flying up? I said, oh, no, hell no, Steve. So I flew up, and I walk in the room, and it was Michael Jackson. <laughs> so I ended up spending a whole weekend with Michael Jackson, and that was, that was really pretty spooky. <laughs> We need to hear more about this now. Hang on. What, why was it spooky? What, well, no matter where you went, people were screaming. You know, and, and in fact, he had guards around him. You know, they were holding their hands together and putting him in the middle. And we were going through different casinos, and everybody was screaming and groping towards him and everything. And I kind of fell back a little ways. And luckily, Steve Wynn's secretary said, Jesus, get Rolly, because he'll, he'll get lost in the crowd. <laughs> And I must say that I enjoyed my three days with Michael. He was a sweetheart of a man. And I'll tell you, he was a really a businessman. When we sat and talked, you can't believe how sharp he was about his own business. So it was a, it was a, it was a marvelous time. So, so you, you, you kind of get passed around, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do we have time for one more question? Sure, sure. one more question. Uh, what about him? Aren't we going to hear, hear, hear from Jeff? They're not here for me, they're here for you. Hey, Rowley, uh, tell us a little bit about your work in Adventureland in Disney. Oh, uh, you're talking about the uh, bazaar or, yeah, or the Tiki Room or what? Or tiki, room. Tiki, room. tiki Room. Oh, Tiki Room, okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of a cute story, too. <laughs> uh, you know, we, um, we all always want to have a tea room for the older people, you know, <laughs> have a cup of tea. And, uh, and he went down on Main Street, you know, and it was really kind of cute. So I, I was working on an, an idea for a tea room. And then uh, the, the assignment was then, you know what, we've decided that there is a space that we're going to put in, uh, in the new Adventureland uh, about tiki's, a little tiki restaurant. And so we sat and had a meeting uh, with the group of us. It was Mark and Claude and, and Johnny Hedge and uh, we're sitting there, and John Hench had been asked to design what it might look like of a Tahitian restaurant. So he did a beautiful rendering of this little Tahitian restaurant, and everything, and Walt took one look at it, and he says, John, you've got birds in there in cages. And John said, yeah. Well, you can't do that. And John says, why not? He says, the birds will poop in the food. <laughs> he really said that. And John says, no, no. He says, they're not real birds. They're stuffed birds. Walt says, no, John, Disney does not stuff birds. He said, well, no, they look like they're stuffed birds, but they're little mechanical birds. And Walt said, oh, little mechanical birds, yeah. And he said, you know, they'll kind of chirp a little bit. And then somebody in the meeting said, well, you know, maybe we'll have a group of birds at the other end chirping a little bit. Well, by the time we got finished, we had an idea for a bunch of chirping birds that were going to be in this, uh, in this tiki room. Well, all of a sudden, and this again was so beautiful, you can take a little dinky idea that doesn't mean much, and just Walt comes along like salt and pepper and throws some things on, and all of a sudden it explodes. And that's, that's basically what happened with the Tinky Room. He realized it was a restaurant, so he said, Rolly, I want you to design all the pre-show Tinkies out front while people are waiting to go have a meal, do something out there where the Tinkies can talk to the public and kind of entertain them. I said, oh, okay. And so then he had uh, Mark draw up a bunch of the tiki gods inside and everything. And so off we went. And uh, I do know that 
one of the tiki's, all the tiki's, I looked them up in a book, and uh, to be authentic, like Pele is a god of volcanoes, so I did a tiki, the hat was a volcano, and I had fire coming out of it, and it would talk to you. Well, I did all about six or seven sketches like that. One of them I did where a, uh, a tiki was spitting water into a piece of bamboo, and the bamboo would fill up and dump, and then it would come back, and it would hit a log, and go like that, and it was basically a Japanese thing that they used to use in gardens to keep the deer and the rabbits away, this little thing. So I did this little thing. But I didn't think that it was a god or anything or a tiki. I just had that as an extra drawing. Well, sure enough, Waltz is rolling. Are these all authentic tikis? And I said, yes, they are. <laughs> and, and, and they all were with that one. What's this the god of? And I thought, oh, Jesus. Well, luckily, John Hedge is standing right there, and John says, it's a, the god of Tampa Cloth beating. And meaning that, you know, something was getting beat, so it was Tampa Cloth. And Walt misunderstood him. He says, what kind of a cloth? And uh, John says, it's a god that tells the time. Says, really? That's the best, the best happy accident ever. So after the meeting, John says, you better play who the hell the guy is that tells the time. And I did. And it was Maui. And then what happened was I took all these sketches to the head sculptor. I said, Walt bought off on these. We got to get them sculpted. He says, I'm too busy. I said, what do you mean you're too busy? We got we to gotta do this. He said, I said, he said well, then you're going to sculpt them. I said, I've never sculpted before in my life. He says, you're going to sculpt. The very first sculpture I ever did in my life is Maui in Disneyland. And, and, I, and, and I actually did about 80% sculpting of the tiki's because Blaine taught me how to build the armature and everything. And the, the interesting thing about it was it was so cold in the building and we were used plastiline clay and that has to be soft to, to put it on to the armature. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't warm enough. The building was too damn cold. Well, I found out the parking lot was really warm. So I put the tiki on the wheels and took him <laughs> out to the parking lot and Maui was actually sculpted in the parking lot there at Blaine Enterprise. So, <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing all these stories with us. My pleasure. who's going to I'll tell you what, Jeff is, is getting a chance to talk to us three or four times a week. <laughs> but you're the one that we never get to see. And, and you're very kind, but we definitely are going to give Jeff a big spotlight always on my chat and my stage because he's amazing. And he's your co author, and I know he, you treat him like a son. And, he loves you. We all love you. He is amazing. Uh, living treasure. <laughs>